what did I write? I wrote a monitoring tool for net backup. That was a really long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> you could restore it Hi, and welcome to Backup Central's Restored All Podcast. I'm your host, W. Curtis Preston, a.k.a. Mr. Backup, and I have with me my expert in secretly uh, exiting parties that you don't want to be in, Rosada Molly. <laughs> <laughs> How's it going, Curtis? So, were you successful? So, I, I think we need to give the backstory. So, if people hadn't listened to the last podcast, you were invited to a baby shower. Invited? Which was invited? Was I invited? Required. I was to required. Attend to attend uh, baby a baby shower that was in at my your own house. house. Yep. Yeah. Uh, at, because the 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 mother to be basically said I was a horrible person if I didn't go. Even though I explained to her that I didn't even go to my own niece's baby shower because I abhor baby showers. She was and like, it's you still have really to go. weird for men to go to baby showers. I think it is. It is kind of weird, you know. And yeah, maybe I'm old fashioned and sexist or whatever, but I just don't like them. So I didn't want to be there, but I was there, and you and I had some conversations about how to, you know, surreptitiously. <laughs> so did you um, use any of those uh, methods? Uh, I I just uh, basically said I had to I had to go to work. <laughs> I had something I had to do for work, which was true. But you know, I could I, I could have waited. But I, I, you know, I gave the party a good. I think I gave them a good three hours. Okay, right? so it's not like you were there for like five minutes and be I like, was okay, there, see you I was guys. The host, you know, I was the host. I, you know, passed snacks around. Something that my my daughter, who was the technically the host of the party something that she had neglected to provide for her guests was snacks because of COVID typically, right. Typically you'd have bowls of snacks all over the place. Right. You know, we know how to throw a party here at the Preston household <laughs> and, but because of COVID we didn't want to do the grabby snacks. So we yeah. had lumpia was the snack of choice, which of course, for those of you that don't know is the Philippine, I'll just say Filipino egg rolls would be the, the, the quickest way to describe <laughs> that. But it, it's nothing like an egg roll, other than it's round and it's fried. <laughs> but the and so we, but they're always very popular at, at such yeah. things. And so we walked. And they're around easy with, to sort of tongs. like not put your hand into. Yeah, exactly. You could yeah, take tongs. Yeah. So we you... walked around with tongs and little plates, and my lovely granddaughter was the plate holder. And, you know, yeah. So we, so I did the, the hosty things, and then I was like, I, I got a thing I got to do. And that, by the way, the timing of my exit was just prior to the beginning of the games. See, I think that's the thing, though. You don't like the games, right? I don't like the games. The games are so offensive. At least some of them are. You know, some of them are just annoying. Like they, you know, they they blow up a balloon. You put a balloon under your shirt to look pregnant, and then you have to hold a a, a coin between your knees as you walk across the floor and drop the coin into a cup. See, that's just annoying. But then there's the gross games, which I don't even want to get into. We won't but, get into um, those. Yeah, we won't get into those. But. So I, I managed to I managed to escape from, from the party, and and uh, then yeah, I was yeah, told yeah. later that the people went up to my wife and said your husband was so nice he was such a great Ooh. host and I was like yes so bonus points I, I, I exited and and got kudos so <laughs> exact you know 
Uh, Good job, so, Curtis. So thumbs up. So thanks for thanks for your help. With that. <laughs> so uh, our our guest this week, I, you know, I, I always love saying, you know, the first. I'm pretty sure he is the first of this kind, which is the creator of of a tool. I, I, I don't I don't think we've I mean, we've had some founders of companies, but not like the core developer creator of a tool. So after getting his uh, degree at the University of Cambridge, yes, that University of Cambridge, he was a director at Memset Limited for just shy of 20 years before now becoming, as his LinkedIn profile says, which I love, the boss of me for the last two years. He created this tool called R-Clone, which we're going to be talking about. Welcome to the podcast, Nick Craigwood. Well, thank you very much for inviting me on the podcast. I think it's uh, that's that's very close to my heart, backing up and restoring things. <laughs> yeah, apparently so. What did you do back at uh, Memset Limited? What kind of job was that? Well, I was the um, chief technical officer there, and that was a company I founded with my sister. And we did lots of um, uh, internet-based things, so think of lots of servers in data centers. Now, storage was part of that, and that's where I got interested in storage. Right. But uh, while I was there, CTO involves managing a lot of people and not doing a lot of software. So, <laughs> so kind of as a hobby, I decided I would learn the Go programming language. Go, a Go I, programming I, language. Yeah. So this is literally the first time I've heard of programming <laughs> language. What? What? Uh, tell me. Yeah. Give me. Give us a little bit of of intro into that. But the Go programming language was designed by Google, and it was designed to be a ah high-performance language for writing cloud tools. And uh, cloud tools you've heard of are written in Go, like Docker, for example. Okay. And uh, so it was a really good choice for writing R-Clone, and I thought, well, I'd like to get into writing Go. And uh, R-Clone was one of the sort of, I don't know, maybe my third project in Go, just to, just to basically stop myself losing losing interest or the will to live <laughs> by having to manage so many people at work, shall we say. <laughs> It's like keeping your skills sharp. It's like over time, things get dull, and yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I've I've always loved software development, but uh, but yes, sometimes you've got to do other things. Um, <laughs> I the the only thing I remember, I, I back in the day when I coded, but and my coding was never like what I think of as like true coding. The the the, the most codey I got was Perl, right? I did a lot of lot of uh, born shell and. Yeah, programming back in the day, but the most true coding I got was Perl, and I learned, like you, I learned it for a particular thing. What did I write? I wrote a monitoring tool for net backup. That was a really long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I completely. I also, I, I was in. I when I was early in my career, I very quickly got into management and found out the differences between being, you know, managing people and managing technology. Those are two very different things. <laughs> yes, absolutely right. Yes. By the way, I, I should throw out our disclaimer. I just realized I haven't done that. Persona and I work for different companies. He works for Zoom. I work for Druva. This is not a podcast of either company. The opinions that you hear are ours. And speaking of stars, we'd love to have you rate us at ratethispodcast.com slash restore. 
And uh, if, if you're interested in the sorts of things we're interested in, we'd love to have you on as a guest. Remember also to subscribe to our mailing list at BackupCentral.com, which also makes you eligible for our weekly drawing. The winner will receive a free ebook copy of my new book, Modern Data Protection, courtesy of O'Reilly and Associates. I've done the drawing for this week. The winner is A. Glassetter. Congratulations, and you'll receive an email from me and another one from O'Reilly with your complimentary ebook copy. Let's get back to the podcast. I started off on the Arcalone journey quite a long time ago now, I think eight years now. Um, and the project grew quite slowly to start with, but, um, over the years, it. the first time he's heard that one, Curtis, <laughs> over the years, I added more, uh, backends, which are interfaces, the different cloud providers mm-hmm. and, um, the project kind of has been growing exponentially ever since. What problem were you trying to solve? that you then said, I'm going to build a tool to do? Well, what I wanted was a tool which would allow me to transfer data between cloud storage or between local storage and cloud storage. Um, Now, you're probably aware of the tool Mm rsync. And uh, rsync was a major inspiration for rclone. rsync is a great tool for transferring files between servers that run SSH, but it doesn't work to cloud storage. So my ambition was to make a version of rsync, which works to cloud storage. Don't the cloud providers, like, I thought cloud providers give you, like, the APIs you need, the tools you need. Like, don't they want you to be able to easily upload data to the cloud? So, <laughs> I, I know. <laughs> well, I mean, you're, you're, you're right. And each cloud provider has their own tool. But a lot of them are not very good. Um, and what our clone does is it tries to make a, uh, a really good tool where, which works with all the cloud providers. So you only have to learn one tool. Whether you're, one, one tool to sync them all. Uh, that, that, that is definitely my catch line, that. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, one, one tool. And uh, so whether you're backing up to Amazon S3 or Google Cloud Storage or Dropbox or Google Drive or any of 40 different providers. 40? Can, 40, indeed, yeah. You can wow. just you can just use Arclone. The scope has grown has grown a bit between just syncing files to to and from the storage, and I'll talk about that a bit more later. Yeah, I had actually run across Arclone probably a couple of years ago. I was trying to figure out how what was the quickest way for me to upload a bunch of pictures that I have stored locally um, to Glacier Deep Archive. AWS is Glacier Deep Archive. And I kept looking. I was like, oh, yeah, there's AWS has their utility, but it looks painful and it doesn't quite do everything I want. And I somehow stumbled across Arclone. And I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. And that's why when Curtis was like, oh, yeah, I'm going to have the creator of Arclone on the podcast. I was like, oh, I've heard of that tool. <laughs> well, because think... there really wasn't anything out there that solved that need for me either. Well, that's that's a perfect use for Arclone, that is. And uh Backing up media, and that's a really popular use of our clone, actually. You, you have a load of media, which is a load of discrete files. It's not a database or anything like that. So it's, And uh, you can throw those up on Amazon or, if, or Backblaze or wherever you like. So, yeah, and I back up all my media like that, too. 
So I, I, I'm guessing that you have some sort of communica- community where you talk to other people uh, that are using the tool. What uses do you find people finding? Uh, uh, this isn't coming out in English. What, what, <laughs> what uses are people finding with our clone? I think that came out properly. Um, well, our clone has quite a lot of different usage. Um, a lot of people use it for doing things like transferring media from A to B. That's a really popular use. And other people use it for backing up cloud provider A onto cloud provider B. And uh, so if you, you know, you don't trust Amazon to keep all your data, maybe you'll make a backup with Google. So, um, and a lot of people use it for storing data on the cloud and then accessing it locally. Because uh, our clone provides a, uh, like a file system interface. So it provides like a drive on your desktop that you can... Like a, it's like a fuse-mounted? fuse, fuse mounted. It's, it's exactly a fuse-mounted thing. And, uh, and the nice thing about it is that it works with all of our clone's providers. So, By the way, we should probably define that. Uh, would you like to define what a fuse-mounted drive is? Fuse stands for file system in user space. Normally, a file system is something which, you're, which is buried deeply into your OS. But Fuse allows mere mortals like me to write a <laughs> file system, uh, which appears like an external drive, and uh, the user can use it like an external drive. It works pretty well on Windows, Mac, and Linux. Yeah, it's 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 very convenient. So Backup Central, it's hosted on a provider that uses cPanel. It has within it integrated backup for your website, right? So what it does is it creates... Um, It'll do, if you have any databases, it'll do a dump database. In my case, I have a MySQL database. It'll do a dump database of the MySQL database to your directory. Then it will do a tar, a gzip tar of all the files in your directory. And then it supports, now it supports copying the latest backup to S3, but it didn't support copying it to anything else. So I was able to find a... Uh, fuse mount a, a, a piece of I don't know what I found it would be really hilarious if it was our clone and I didn't know that <laughs> I was able to find a, a tool that allowed me to fuse mount Google uh, cloud storage to my Linux backup server as a directory and then I could use the the directory sync feature that it had to copy the backups to to Google Drive or to yeah to yeah to, yeah to G Drive yeah right so it sounds like you've you've automated that. All uh, yeah, one I mean that's our, our clone could do exactly that for you, and uh, yeah, it may well have been our clone you were, you were using because <laughs> um, that's that is what that it's probably its most popular use actually. People mounting their uh, enterprise Google Drive storage, which is right where you get a lot of storage for not very much money, and right. uh, storing lots of stuff there. So. And, and it's so handy because like I know on the consumer side, typically you have like the Google Drive plugin, which syncs with your Google account and gives you that seamless access to Google Drive storage. But of course, it's limited. It's costly. A lot of people, I'm sure, want to use object storage for storing some of that data. And so this gives you that same capability, but just using any object store you want. Does it only work with object storage, our clone, or can it also work with Anything well, with 40 else. different plugins that can't be just object storage. <laughs> yes, you're right. I mean, it, it works with the major object storage providers, but it also works with the sort of more the more consumer brands like Dropbox. Uh, Google Drive is more of a consumer 
consumer brand, uh, box.com. Um, and also with, um, with standard providers like an SFTP server or an FTP server or a WebDAB server. And, uh, so there's really lots of, lots of things you can do with it. And normally a provider will provide one of those ways of accessing it. Yeah. So one question, since Curtis is on the call, this is backup central. Do you support tape as a target? <laughs> <laughs> I have to ask Curtis, you know. <laughs> That's a good question. Not one I've been asked, I have to say. <laughs> well, it would I've... have to be a fuse-mounted LTFS tape drive is what it would have to be. <laughs> I, think the, I think the closest you're going to get to tape is, is the Amazon Glacier thing. So, uh... <laughs> I'm glad you mentioned that because I was going to ask, you know, when you say you support Amazon, um, now I'm saying it like you. Thanks. Uh, when you say you support Amazon, uh, is it all of the object things, right? So is it go, does it go to Glacier Deep Archive, for example? It does all of the things you can access directly via S3, and that includes uh, Glacier Deep Archive, although there is another bit of Glacier thing which, isn't, which you can't yeah. access via S3. Yep. Um, but I think for practical purposes, I, I would say that? yes. So normal Glacier, you have to use their special Glacier APIs, but Glacier Deep Archive are S3 compatible APIs. How did I not know this? Yeah. Very, <laughs> this is why I have you. Is this why I keep you around, Persona? <laughs> Basically. That, that was very well explained. <laughs> I, that is weird. Yeah. That's just how they is it, were built. You know, I'm just going to totally theorize and make stuff up. It, it, they When they came out with, with originally came out with Glacier, they, they just sort of got it out. Right, I and they so. made their own APIs, and then they were like, "Okay, we need to do this right." And so they came out with Glacier Deep Archive, yeah. and they did it with S3 compatible. Probably that, that's my that's my guess. Yeah. That is a, that is completely that's a complete <laughs> yeah. guess. because it is interesting the way Amazon the way they they work, where yeah. you know they have lots of independent parties that are working on projects simultaneously. And so, uh, Nick, one quick question for you is: I know you mentioned um, that lots of users are doing different things. How much is lots? Do you have any idea of like how many people use Rclone out there or any estimates? <laughs> well, Rclone is an open source project, so it's a bit difficult to say exactly. But last time I looked, which was maybe six months ago, we were getting about a quarter of a million downloads a month. Oh, wow. So well, it's going it, to double <laughs> after this episode. <laughs> so, yeah, it's, it's lots of people. Um, quarter I mean, million downloads a month. Dang. Yeah. That's so impressive. We also, I mean, another measure of popularity is how many GitHub stars the project have. And it's we're nudging on 30,000 GitHub stars. So, um, wait, so yeah. what does that mean? Explain so that, that to us mere mortals. So, GitHub's the place where us open source developers hang out. Right. And uh, basically, if you like a project, you give it a star. So, that means, oh, okay. 30,000 people open source people or maybe people who've just come to report a bug on our clone have come there and <laughs> given us a star that's pretty impressive i do you i i i have no frame of reference to that sounds like a lot of people um those people are all welcome to listen to the podcast <laughs> i would love to have thirty thousand people come by and are you the only person developing this or continuing to develop this nick or do you have like because i know it's open source so anyone can kind of contribute to it right or how how are how, how's the development going along for this well that's i mean that's a good question um and the answer is 
I have a lot of people developing for it. Uh, I've merged over a thousand external changes to our clone over the years. And uh, I think I've got something like 50 pending at the moment, which is a bit too many. So I'm having <laughs> difficulty keeping up with them. Um, but I have maybe six core developers on the team who make new patches and help me with those things. And we also have a great um, community at the forum. And uh, so we have some people who love answering questions about our clone, which is fantastic. And I'm very grateful to them. <laughs> and uh, yeah, I try and dip in the forum, you know, once a day and uh, see if mm -hmm. I can answer any questions or fixing bugs. I mean, that's what, that's what I really like is helping people with their problems. And uh, if people have found a bug or they need a feature, then I love talking about that. So. And uh, unlike uh, <clears throat> uh, Linus, Linus Torvald, uh, you did not insert your name into the name of your project. <laughs> uh, no, no, not not this you time. You could have called this Nick Clone <laughs> or something like that. Um, yeah, our clone's a solid name. So here's another related question we know we talked about. How many, do you have any forks that you are aware of? Um, people do fork our clone from time to time. Yeah, and uh, I wonder... I wonder why. I'm sure you wonder why as well. Well, I know some of the reasons. Um, I try and collect up the forks and merge merge the bits. Some people mm -hmm. like to try and circumvent uh, certain rate limits that the providers do, and I don't accept patches for that. I like to play nice with the providers. Ah. So, um, But generally, it's pretty homogenous, really. I would say nearly everybody gets their R-Clone from rclone.org. Mm. So, yeah, because I, I know I've participated as a user of some open source projects where there's this mass exit, there's this mass fork, usually because of some commercial issue, right? I can, the, the biggest one I can remember, I don't know if either, did you, either of you have any exposure to Joomla? Mm, I remember Joomla. I had to jump in here and correct myself on what I said on the podcast. So I'm doing a completely different recording of me telling my story of what happened to the software I was using to run Backup Central. It was originally Mambo. I was using uh, the open source version of Mambo. And then in uh, 2005, I believe, that there was this attempt to commercialize Mambo and there was a mass exodus. There was a fork that created Joomla. And uh, there's also Mia CMS apparently, but Joomla I think is the main fork. And apparently so many developers left the project due to whatever happened uh, with Mambo, the company, that uh, essentially Mambo became no more. Uh, the latest released was in 2008. It says, by which all time, all of the developers had left for forks of the project. Anyway, back to the podcast. So you, you haven't had anything like that where a bunch of people have said, you know what, this, you know, we, we, we don't like the direction this product's taking and we're going to, we're going to go do something else. Uh, no, no, I haven't had anything like that. And I think mostly because is that Arclone has a lot of features and I'm generally not adverse to adding features provided right. we don't uh, break backwards compatibility. And that's the one thing that I don't bend on. I try not to break backwards compati compatibility ever. 
And that's hard to do over time, especially as you're adding yes, so many features. And <laughs> it, it, it is hard, yes. It's very hard. I mean, the other thing I, I like to ensure is the data integrity. And uh, we have a, an integration test server, which tests against all the 40 or so providers every day. And uh, it has a really extensive test suite now. Um, so it takes several hours running against all the providers just to make sure we don't mess anything up. Have you ever found that the t provider breaks you guys because they maybe have a change of an API that they didn't realize or a change of behavior that... Well, yes, several times is the answer. <laughs> Either the provider breaks something or I have found maybe on half a dozen occasions, I have found bugs in the provider's implementation using the Arclone <laughs> test suite. Because Arclone, <laughs> the Arclone test suite tests all sorts of horrible corner cases like, you know, if you've got these funny characters in your file names or or directories which you rename when they've got this in and so and uh all those corner cases are yeah are all because i found a bug somewhere once so it's in the test case and then when i try on a new provider i find out that oh yeah you can't actually rename a directory with a utf8 character in it or something like that <laughs> right so so this does lead me to at least a small tangent that i am curious about because the the test suite that you just talked about running daily, there's a cost associated with that, which then immediately says, makes me want to wonder, well, it is, are you making any money with our clone? And if so, how, you know, how are you, how are you paying for these sorts of things? I, I think that's an excellent question. Um, so I receive sponsorship from GitHub, actually not from GitHub itself, but from people who, who sponsor me on, on the GitHub platform. Okay. So, and that that's a sort of monthly sponsorship of two dollars or five dollars or ten dollars, something it, like that. It's almost like a donation, or a it's almost yeah, like a donation. Whatever. And I also yeah. receive okay. donations via PayPal. Um, and I also do a bit of consultancy, Arcane-related consultancy. So, quite often, a big company might want such and such a feature, and mm -hmm. um, I add it for them if I think it's a good idea for Arcane, and mm -hmm. uh, it gets. It gets. I mean, I did a project for for CERN recently, and uh, which turned out to be a really nice addition to our cloud. And it was basically changing the way it was configured, and uh, that was that was a really nice project. So, so yes, I think I think I'd obviously like more sponsorship, make the project more sustainable. But um, I'm telling you, it's going to double after this episode. <laughs> <It> really <is. laughs> well, and and that's always the interesting thing about open source, right? Is there's this tension between sort of you have to keep it su sustainable versus um, right. And how do you go about that? Because yes, you want to give it away for free, but at some point, how do you pay for your costs? Right. And keep things going. Um, has it ever crossed your mind that maybe at some point you would want to charge or do you always see this as no, this is something that should be out there for everyone to use. It should be available for all. Well, I think as a free, I think if we were to make some some paid for products, they would be um, peripheral to our clone. So I think our clone itself will always remain MIT licensed and free for everyone. But if, for instance, you know some some larger organisations wanted our clone to plug into their, let's say, Active Directory or something like that, then that's the kind of thing I'd consider making a paid for sort of plug in Commer commercial feature, a commercial plug in. Yeah. 
Gotcha. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Yeah, and, and that that may be a direction that that I go in in the future. Right. Interesting. And and so I, I am. The other thing I'm curious about is how you sync a file system to an object store. That that is a great question because object stores are not file systems. So right, and they don't have things like directories. They're just right. They are just uh, key value stores. So, right. so the answer is our claim pretends it's a it's a file system, and the object stores give you a little bit of help with that. Um, and it by and large that works very well, except for a few little oddities like you can't have an empty directory, um, which is occasionally it's it's a problem but most of the time users say oh well never mind or I'll just put a file in that empty directory and then it's no longer empty so uh, so that's but that's probably the biggest thing people notice so are, so you're saying there are some features built into object store that you're able to leverage to allow that object store to pretend to be a file system yeah and basically the object store will allow you to break up the paths on slashes so it'll say list everything beginning with this prefix so and that might be the path to a directory and so you're kind mm. of emulating a directory at that point uh, and yeah the object stores give you give you enough help with that to make it not too painful what about syncing a large file so it is each file an object or do you take large files and split them up into small objects what do you what do you do there well each file when it ends up on the storage is just one object and that's something okay. our clone tries to do, map one-to-one -one file to objects. But when they're being uploaded, the providers quite often have a multi-part upload. And our clone will, up, will split the pile up into multiple pieces and upload them in parallel and then join them back together at the end. And finally, our clone will do a, will do a hash check on the object to make sure it is the same object. And is the reverse true as well? A multi-part download? Of a large object yes we do do multi-part downloads and uh that we our clone typically splits up splits up a big download into four chunks and downloads them in parallel and that makes a lot of difference uh with some providers with some providers it doesn't but um since you brought up the checksum um i know some people are concerned about uploading their data to a cloud service and cloud service being able to access their data um is there anything our clone provides in terms of being able to encrypt data before it gets sent? Because I know some cloud providers give you like server-side encryption where they will encrypt the data for you. But if I'm a user who doesn't trust the public cloud to have my data or to have my unencrypted data, um, is there something our clone allows me to do in order to put another layer of encryption on top of that? Uh, yes, our clone has an encryption layer. Um, and that was... That was one of the features demanded by users fairly early on, <laughs> and uh, and uh, I remember writing that actually. I was I was on holiday with with the wife and kids for a couple of weeks, and, uh, I, and that, that was your holiday is writing encryption software. No, I had holiday with the wife and kids, but in the evenings okay. when we were when we were just relaxing, I I wrote the encryption layer, and uh, yes, it has quite a quite a strong encryption layer. Um, so um, you can wrap it around any back end, as our clone calls them, and that's that's in very common use 
especially with Google Drive. I think people seem to trust Google the least in this. I don't know why, but, uh, <laughs> but yes, you can you can encrypt your objects and they're still encrypted one-to-one. So one object on your disk to one encrypted object in the cloud. And how do you manage uh, the keys and all of that? That is up to the user to manage the keys. Um, the keys live in the config file. The config file can be encrypted with a key. Um, and there are various ways you can join it onto your key ring or use whatever manager you like. Um, but the keys are yeah very much the user responsibility. Our clone, the rclone.org sees none of that. And that's in general, we don't see any of the user's data or any of their keys or anything. Um, I see that you, uh, I was just scrolling through your plugins. I see that you support OVH. Uh, any interesting stories from the fire? <laughs> um, I, I don't think the OVH, I don't think it affected their cloud storage offering. Um, well, it affected anybody that was storing stuff in that region, um, or in that, in that, that zone, whatever. The, I don't know what they, I don't know if they use the same terms, but. Yes, I'm. I'm not aware of any fallout from that. Alas, okay. no, no juicy stories there. <laughs> okay, so you didn't have any interesting stories from OVH, but let's talk about you know what happened just real quick for those that aren't you know avid followers of the podcast, which you totally you should, should be. be. You should because <laughs> we're great. Um, so we did probably two or three, three I or think four, it was three or four episodes, three, three or four episodes on. What happened in OVH, which was they, they, they're advertising or advertised as the largest cloud provider based in Europe. Um, and they just went public. Not the largest. Yeah. And they, and they just went public, <laughs> which is amazing <laughs> considering what happened just a few months ago, which was that there was this major data center fire that, that where people lost data and the and and you know I, I don't want to re relitigate what we already talked about, but it, it's easy to say, well, they should have backed it up, except that you know I, I have some information that there were some people that did actually pay for the backup service. Um, you know that's what I'm being told by these people is that they paid for the backup service and they didn't get what they paid for. Um, but that hasn't been like discussed anywhere publicly. So it's, it's distressing, but so the question is, you know, our clone, well, I don't know if this is a question. This is a statement. Our clone could have helped with this problem. Yeah, right? ab ab absolutely. Um, Assuming they had it beforehand. <laughs> uh, yes. Yeah. I mean, a lot of people use our clone to back up their backups. So let's say you have a backup in S3 and you mm -hmm. might want to back it up to Google cloud storage. And there's a good reason for doing that. Firstly, they might be in two separate locations. But secondly, highly redundant systems like S3 have what a friend of mine used to call shared fate. So sometimes one thing, one little thing can take the whole lot down. And uh, if you're using a completely separate provider, you don't have that problem. So I think right. if you're being ultimately cautious about your backup, have two different cloud providers. Do you, Does... Our clone help in because I know a lot of times cloud providers charge an arm and a leg to pull data out of the cloud. 
right? Um, does Arc Clone help in terms of any network efficiencies to try to reduce the amount of data copied from one cloud provider to the other? Or um, Arc Clone does have a few tricks up its sleeves. Uh, like, for instance, if you're trying to egress from AWS, it's slightly cheaper to go via CloudFront, I believe. And uh, I'm not an AWS expert, so apologies if I got the terminology wrong. But we've just merged a patch which lets you uh, choose a different URL. So you can be working out which objects to copy from S3, but actually downloading it from a slightly cheaper access outgoing gotcha. point. Gotcha. Interesting. So and we, we have a, say, a similar feature with uh, Backblaze as well. Okay. We, I think that goes a long way, especially if you're trying to copy data between clouds, right? People don't realize that cloud is expensive to take data out of. And so yeah. I think anything you could provide to help reduce that sort of cost. Yeah, I think I'd say because it's a synchronization tool, you know, you're only going to be syncing or, or you're egressing. If I can, I don't think that's a verb, but you know, you're only going to be egressing. No, I, it is a verb. Dang I it. think it is. Anyway, you're only going to be egressing new things, right? So yeah. th that that would also help. So you're not you're not doing full backups every once in a while, unless the user possibly asks for that. I think the best way to do your backup might actually be to send it to cloud storage providers because none of them charge for ingress, or yeah. at least not many right. of them. So, whereas almost all of them charge for egress, and it's really yeah. expensive. Yeah. So, right. so start on the local wherever you took your first backup from there, fork it or split it and do one to each cloud provider. Yeah, I think that's probably the cheapest way. And then yeah. and then it's in both places. You don't have to worry about yep. it. Um, but of course, there are there are people that live in the cloud, right? Their entire infrastructure is in AWS, for example, or Azure or GCP. And their only option would be to do what we were what we were talking about a minute ago, which is to back it up into the thing they're using and then sync it over to somewhere else. Yeah. And even if they use, say, if they wanted to stay within AWS and replicate S3 from one region to another region, of course, AWS is going to charge you for that anyway. So you're going to have a cost there anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I have to say, I don't know if you've talked about Cloudflare's new offering. What do they call it? R R2. R2. R2, I, yeah. I read about that the other day. Yeah, yeah, I'm very I, I, very excited by that. So uh, I think that will be because you want to you want to summarize it yeah, for the listeners. Yeah, sure. So R2 is very much like S3. It's a it's an object based cloud storage system, uh, but because of Cloudflare being who they are, they're not going to charge you for egress at all. Yep. So it's a flat charge, right? It's a flat yeah. charge. So if I wanted to, let's say, host a directory with a terabyte of downloads, like the Arclone archive, for instance, I could put that hmm. on S3 and have the downloads from there cost me nothing at all. Um, you mean you could put it on R2? Sorry, on R2. <laughs> You're right. <laughs> yes, I put it on R2. If I put it in S3, it would cost me lots of money and I couldn't afford that. You know, it's funny with R2. Whenever I think about R2, I think about this. Uh, when I was when I first started my career, there was a convenience store right outside the bank that I worked at, and it was called 612 because it, you know, it was just a little bit better than 7-Eleven. So R2 is it's like S it's like S3, but you know, <laughs> it makes me think about that. Quickly on R2 is it currently supported by R Clone or is it going to be added soon? Um, I don't think Cloudflare has actually released it. I've 
I've asked to be signed up to the beta program when it's available, but I haven't actually tried it yet. So, uh, but I think it will have an S3 like interface. So should work out of the box. Cross fingers. Okay. Awesome. You just have to subtract one from all of the commands. <laughs> <laughs> um, so what, so here's my question as we, as we finish up the podcast here, what is, what do you think is next for our clone? Anything that's, that you know, that you, you, you would really like to do or, you know. So there's, I mean, there's always a continual list of more providers. So, mm-hmm. and uh, we're in the process of merging um, quite a few different providers. Um, so longer term, there's a lot of, Arcane's got a lot of stuff in, and uh, I would like to, I'd like to make some of that stuff easier to use. Arclone at the moment is a command line interface, and it's a really sharp tool to have in your system administrator's box, but it's not the easiest tool for non-technical users to use. So we have a web GUI. Um, I think we could, I think we could do better on the user, user accessibility of the tool if we want to get our next set of users. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I, d- I don't want to ever go away from that sharp command line tool because people love that for what it is. It's what you need for the core function, I think, of our clone. But I agree that there's there's an entire group of people that don't know what the command line is and they therefore will be completely left out of your tool. So um, you, you need both, right? Yeah. So Yeah, and I, I, I think you know, for the future, making a tool which could be used by slightly less technical users would be good. Right. Well, I hope that your appearance on our podcast just explodes those 275,000 downloads. <laughs> uh, it'll be 275,000 and and one at least because yeah. i'll download Chris is going to go to, exactly Chris, you're going to go download it right now <laughs> absolutely yeah I'm, I'm definitely going to try it out on backup central and uh and and, and also find out if maybe i i already am <clears throat> and didn't realize that so uh thanks so much for coming on the podcast yeah, well thank you very much for having me <laughs> and uh persona thanks again for your probing questions I try. I try. I'm actually excited about this one because, yeah, our clone is something I had looked at and it solves a need that I had. Although technically I haven't used it yet, but it's something I did my research, which I, as Curtis knows, I research a lot before I ever do anything. Yeah, it, it's funny the way he says that, uh, Nick. Um, it's like a backhanded compliment. Like he says, <laughs> this this episode really interested him, which means that he did, he's not interested in any of the others. <laughs> I love you. I love you, Persona. Take it as you will. I love you too, Curtis. All right. Well, thanks a lot to the listeners. And remember to subscribe so that you can restore it all. There was a file, but I deleted it. Too bad your backup system isn't worth a spade. Finally, I needed your backup. You had a chance to fix it, instead it's all jacked up. See how I'll write on Facebook about you. Don't underestimate the things that I will do. There was a file, but I deleted it. Too bad your backup system isn't worth the space. Emails from me.
run Hoping that just for once it'll be completely done Maybe 